0: To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold or find in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put in your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. When the Lord speaks, he always tells the truth. He never pulls any punches. You can't trust everybody like that. There's some people, you just don't know whether to believe them or not. One man came out of the mall. He saw this front left fender had been crunched. There was nobody around. There was a little piece of paper under the windshield wiper. He read it and said, to whom it may concern, I've just wrecked your car. There are about 20 witnesses. They think I'm giving you my name, address, and insurance number, but I'm not. I hope your day gets better. When people are hard to trust at times. You don't know if their assessment is right. You don't know if what their opinions they are stating to you are worthy of your consideration. When Jesus speaks, he says, I am the amen. Now, we say amen at the end of the prayer, we mean I agree or so be it. When Jesus speaks, he is the amen. What he says is true. And what he is saying here is that lukewarm faith is a tragic faith. If Jesus stuck a thermometer in your heart today, would it read hot, cold, or lukewarm. There's a difference between a Christian who is a a Christian as Jesus paints. We could call that a normal Christian because that's the kind of believer that Jesus calls us to be. A normal Christian is by his definition, someone who lays down his life for the king of kings because of who he is, the son of God. There's then the average Christian, and it's easy to become an average Christian. An average Christian is somebody who just kind of blends in, kinda of becomes very, very predictable in their lives, not bad people, not necessarily great holy people, not striking people, just just people who say they believe in God. There's not much difference in their lives. Vance Havner wrote, In the 20th century, most of us become so subnormal in our Christian life that when someone comes along and begins to act normal, we label them abnormal or crazy. A boiling hot Christian can scare us to death. This is a letter Where Jesus speaks the truth, and it's hard to hear the truth. I feel like Tom Cruise, you can't handle the truth. Maybe Jesus, maybe Jesus would say that to us. Can you really handle the truth? So we get to this church at Laodicea, the last of the seven churches at the beginning of Revelation, to whom he has some direct words to say. And here he's he's directly addressing this matter of being being lukewarm in our faith. He who has ears to hear, let him hear today. Note the condition of lukewarm Christianity. Two two marks of it. First of all, it's a neutral faith. Nothing much upsets a lukewarm believer, a lukewarm church. Nothing ever excites them necessarily. Nothing ever offends them. Nothing nothing really changes. They don't take take much of a stand on anything. They sort of adopt the mantra of our culture today. Who am I to judge? It's not that they're against the Bible. They're not going to necessarily live in it and breathe it. They, they believe the Bible, but they're not going to really hunger for it. Uh, they believe in Jesus. They believe that he died on the cross for their sins, but they don't really thirst and desire for more of him. They, don't, they, don't, they just kind of ooze where they are. They morph into whoever they're around chameleon-like in their faith, like the civil war soldier who wore a blue jacket and gray pants and got shot at from both sides. Or the politician who refuses to make much of a stand and he's got friends on both sides of an issue, and when asked where he stands, he'll say, I agree with my friends. Now, there's no mention here about the Laodiceans And what they believe. There's nothing here correcting them about their doctrine. My guess is there was nothing faulty in their doctrine. But nor is there anything to commend them about. You notice in this letter, he doesn't commend them about anything. He just kind of lays it out as it is. They are just, their hearts had become tepid. Martin Niemoller was an imprisoned preacher during the, the, uh, the Third Reich in Germany. For seven years, he was in concentration camps. And you may be familiar with this quote of his. First, they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. When Jesus left us, And called us to himself. He he called us to be his mouthpiece. To speak for him. To stand for him. To stand on his truth. To be hot for him. To to be his, his eyes in the world. His hands, his feet, his heart in the world. Sadly, our faith often, like the Laodiceans, becomes just like a nice, comfortable old shoe. They were also nauseating to Jesus, these Laodiceans no commendation. He says, I wish that you were hot or cold. Now, if you're fully alive in the Lord, you know it. I mean, you hunger for more. You love to serve. You love watching people change. You love the change happening in your own life. You love conversations you can have with people who are investigating or intrigued by Christianity. There's something that moves you about that. And you love to share your life with people who are on the same, on the same uh, growing curve. God even said, Jesus even says, I, I wish if you weren't hot, at least cold. See, a person who's cold in faith, at least know they're cold. If they don't want anything to do with Jesus, at least they'll tell you. And then you know what you're working with, right? The problem is with the people in the middle who say all the right things, but there's no evidence of real life happening. They're not hot or cold. And Jesus, his eyes are like penetrating fire, he says in Revelation. His voice is greater than many waters. He says... I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, that word spit in the Greek is emeo, is the word. If you're in, in the medical field, somebody might seek an emetic as, a, as a, a medicine. An emetic is something that makes you vomit when you have to and can't. Jesus is saying, You make me sick, you make me want to vomit. That's what he thinks of people of lukewarm faith. He's not like some soft parent who is trying to negotiate with a rebellious child saying, you know, I don't really like how you're acting. You know better than that. I'm going to get angry with you. No, this is the king of the universe saying, you make me sick. The hard words. We're not just distasteful, not that kind of spitting out of your mouth. I want to vomit. Now, why? How does a church get like this? How does a person get like this? A couple of reasons, it seems, to be suggested out of this letter to Laodicea. The one is self-sufficiency, self-sufficiency. How many of us could talk about that? This particular city of Laodicea, is an intriguing city. Verse 17 says, you say, Jesus is saying this, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Now, that would have hit them in a striking way, because Laodicea was a wealthy city. It had a banking center there, so there was a lot of finance Uh, kinds of occupations there it was known to be this banking center not only that but they were very they were situated at a great trading route so commercialism was very much alive in Laodicea in addition to that there were farmers who bred a, a, a particular kind of sheep they were black sheep and they were known for producing this fine wool that was very expensive They had a a great medical, a state-of-the-art medical school for that time. And this medical school developed a kind of eye salve. They were known all over for this particular salve. They had done so much for themselves. They had their own resources that even in 61 AD, when an earthquake struck and much destruction came to the city, they didn't want any government money from Rome. They had enough resources for themselves. You see what happened. This became a community of great pride, and that pride from the community, and the culture, had drifted into the church, and that's how the the church people looked more like a normal kind of regular person, lay out a and who lived in town, than a, a believer in Jesus Christ who were sold out to him. Does that make you worry and concern about churches today in 21st century America? How much has culture bled into us so that we don't make any, uh, a striking difference? Perhaps you recall the words of Invictus written by William Ernest Henley in 1875. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Remember Dead Poet Society? That was a big, big, big statement in that film long ago. That line has inspired many through the generations right into a Christless eternity. Is that what your faith and obedience looks like today? It's not that you don't believe in God. It's not believe that you don't want your kids to grow up in church. It's a good thing for them. Keeps them off the streets. Helps them be more moral. Helps them be good students. There are good people there. I can find a wife there. I can find good friends there. But if that's all we are, friends, we are missing the mark we are here to be here because we have been smitten with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have come to an understanding that we are absolutely lost without him. Lethargy came to this church, not only self-sufficiency, lethargy. They're just blasé in it all. The Laodicea had no uh, source of water themselves, so they depended on water uh, coming down through Aqueducts built from uh, Colossae, which was about 10 miles away, and uh, the mountain, mountain water from there would come. Ice-cold water from Colossae would flow into Laodicea. Hot water from Hierapolis, six miles away, into the city. But by the time both those water sources got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. Now, I love hot coffee. In fact, if I get a special to drink, I'll also always ask for extra hot. Uh, and I like iced coffee. But I'm repulsed at room temperature coffee. Bah! I mean, I like my stuff so hot. Recently, I was eating hot food, and I kept eating it while the skin off my palate was peeling off. I kid you not. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Lukewarm... It's good for nothing. I could have a hot bath. Who wants a tepid bath? I could have a nice ice cold drink when I'm really wanting water. I don't want room temperature. Good for nothing. God can't stand it either. And we might say, I'm not that bad, not that holy. Why can't God be satisfied with that? Because there is nothing about that that represents a Savior who died for me that I can live forever. It's an affront to him, in fact. Like the little girl who said, God, make me good, but not too good. Just good enough that I won't get a whooping. Do <laughs> you view your faith like that? How close? How, how, can I get about three bucks worth of God, please? Enough to change me a little bit? God says, you make me want to throw up. I'm not sure we ever even want to know. See, see, what we want so often, if you're honest, we want this God that doesn't challenge us. But do you really want a God like that? Do you really want to serve a God of your own making that will never challenge you, never push you to the limit, never change you, never ask you for a hard ask or call? What, what life changing is that nothing happens you can just let God be who you want him to be there's nothing good when I was 16 and got my driver's license you know I'm trembling while I'm doing the written test then I do the driving test and I get back and the, the cop says I get an 85 then he asked would well, you want to know what you did wrong and I said "Nah, it's okay <laughs> wrong thing to say <laughs> his, his eyes pierced me he said, do you think you should know? Yes, sir, I should know. That was my next thing. I should know. You know? Because, you know, typically we're kind of happy if we're, if we're doing okay. Shame on us. Shame on us. Status quo. How long have you been stuck where you are? Or how many here can remember, you know, there was a time when I was really alive. There was a time when I was so, I got baptized and I came out, man, I was, I, I was new, and I, I remember that. It was great. I remember that. And it's only a distant memory. It's nothing of your recent walk with Christ. Now, friend, I want you to know, you would think that preachers never get there. I'm telling you, we do. Most of my friends in ministry and me, we get to our times when we go through the routine of ministry, and we cool off. I've had cool off times in my ministry. Would you detect it? Probably not. That I keep preaching, that I keep meeting people, counseling people, marrying people, and bearing people. Yeah. But inside, there was no vibrancy. And I had to repent. Here's the cure. There's an exhortation that comes. Jesus, as always, has something he wants to say to us about our values, our vision, and vitality. Right here, those are three words. Restore your spiritual values, he says. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in my fire. They had plenty of money. They loved all the material goods. Jesus says, I want you to have my kind of gold. I want you to put on my white clothes. I know you've got this fine linen you wear from all these sheep you raise. But I want you to wear the clothes that I'm going to give you or else you're going to be naked before me. You think you're rich, he says, because you have a lot. I'm telling you, you're wretched, poor, blind, and naked. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus Not me. That's not my assessment. That's his assessment. Jesus' whole value system is totally different. He says, a man's life does not consist of the abundance of things. It doesn't consist of the abundance of things, and yet we tend to live that way. Are you living under the kingdom of gold or in the kingdom of God? We're always, we're always wooed that way. Jesus says we can't have it both ways. You have to choose what kingdom you're going to live in. And kingdom people know that souls, people, are the most valuable thing in this world. And so we invest in them. Why do we build a children's building, Steve was talking about? Because we're crazy about kids. And we don't want kids to miss knowing and loving Jesus. Jesus says, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Now, what's your whole world? You list all the things under your whole world. You know, your job, your family, you know, your wife, your, your, your husband, your kids, your grandkids, you know, your, your, your recreation, whatever whatever that is. Whatever that is. What is a prophet if you have all in that category you want in your world and yet lose your soul? What, what, what value is that? It's the most valuable thing we have is the real person that we are. So Jesus, you put on my robes of righteousness. And he's the only one that can clothe us with those robes by his blood poured out for us. He says, restore your spiritual vision. He said, put eye salve. Put on my eye salve so that you can see. See what I see. It says, walk by faith, not by sight. It's hard for me to confess to you my sins, all right? That's the only way I know sometimes to tell you that I am not, I don't, I don't like, a. and I know I'm a leader. I'm a, I'm a spiritual leader, so I need to be in front. But I don't want you to think I'm so far in front that I don't live your life in your shoes, All right? So I go to the eye doctor, the end of December. I'm proud of my eyes. I got one contact, you know. But, um, you know, with the contact, I'm like 2015. Hey. <laughs> Everything else is falling apart, but boy, I can see you. And, and so, you know, I, I, there's hyperopia, farsightedness. There's myopia, nearsightedness. So I'm farsighted, right? And so when I go to Dr. Thompson, and I read that, that bottom little line, I'm feeling pumped at least in that part of my body I'm not fading yet so I get in my car I drive into Indianapolis to go to the the hospital I get this 465 and 40 and what do I see in the distance but a man holding a cardboard sign and he looks pretty shabby and I'm thinking man I hope that light doesn't turn red You ever felt that way when you got to the corner? You shift your eyes the other direction? Physically, my eyes were looking good spiritually. I embarrassed my Savior. When you look at people, what do you see? How do you measure them? Do you see a potential child of God or brother or sister in Christ? Amy Grant saying, my father's eyes... I want to have my father's eyes, eyes full of compassion, seeing all the pain, knowing what you're going through, and feeling it the same. It's only when we get near the heart of God that we truly see the people that he loves and he died for. On that particular day, I wasn't near enough to the heart of God. Restore your spiritual vitality as well. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline God says, you know why I'm fussing at you? Because I love you so much. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't be fussing. That's what he says in Hebrews chapter 12. He said, the the, the writer says, God disciplines those he loves. If God never rattles your cage, that's a problem. Either with you or with him as he looks at you because there's nothing about you that he can wake up. If you are unsettled, that's good news. If today your first inclination is, yeah, I know this letter. I don't don't need anything here. I, I fear for you. Maybe you're an illegitimate child, as Hebrews 12 says. Because if God doesn't discipline you, and I don't know how he does it. I don't know if he does it by permitting us to go through pains or by causing them. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. What matters is how I'm going to receive what comes to my life and how he challenges me through life, right? He loves us. He confronts us. He, ch- he wants us to be close. He be chastens us. So he says in the text, be, he, he says, be earnest. That's pretty lame. There's a better word that, that could be used by, used by the translators. That word really means be zealous. Be zealous. Now, if we were playing a word association game and I said, okay, uh, zealous, you might say, fanatic and then you'd say obnoxious rude insensitive whatever because we hate fanatics right that's how we think we think of when you say zealous we think and think of fanaticism you ever been around people who love Jesus a bit too much it seems like they don't love Jesus too much of course they just have a funny way of showing it because they become condemners of other people they kind of Make you feel uncomfortable because they're they're like, I don't know, just over the top. And you don't, it's like you can't relate to them. You ever been around people like that? Maybe you like that. I don't know. I, I always kind of draw back a little bit. Especially if they have a condemning spirit. Which often fanatics have. The problem with those kinds of people is they haven't become fanatical enough. Because when you really become a fanatic for Jesus, you know what happens? You start loving people like Jesus loved them. You start being sensitive as Jesus was sensitive to sinners. You start being a better listener to people as Jesus listened to people. You start gaining wisdom like Jesus had wisdom. That's what true fanaticism is. You're so sold out to him that you actually become Jesus and you make anybody you meet feel like they're a million bucks because that's what Jesus did, didn't he? It's exactly what he did. So he says here, Be zealous and repent. I can count on two hands people who have come to me during over 40 years of ministry and said, you know, I really need to repent. Now, often they'll say, I need to rededicate my life. It doesn't quite sound so serious, does it? But nowhere in the Bible does God ever call us to rededicate our lives. But often he says, repent. In this text, he says, be zealous, rededicate. No, be zealous, repent. He says here, be boiling hot. Do that by repenting of your lukewarmness. Am I describing anybody here today using Jesus' letter to the Laodiceans? Now, the sad thing is, the Bible says here at the end, He says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Now, when he says that, he's not talking. Usually when we hear that, we we use it with Jesus wanting inside somebody's life. That's not the context. The context is he's talking to the church. He's outside the church knocking, hoping the church will let Jesus in. You suppose, could it be possible he's outside our building and he's knocking and nobody's hearing him? Could it be he's knocking outside your heart? He's knocking? Let me in, would you? I only have something better for you. I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to love you. Would you let me love you? Would you let me tell you what better life you can have in me? If anyone hears my voice, he says, and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Some of you remember your grandmas, grandfathers having this picture by Holman Hunt on their on their uh, wall. Uh, It's called Jesus, the Light of the World, and he's knocking on the door. It was first revealed in London uh, generations ago, and uh, one art critic said it's not done right because on the door, there's no doorknob. And, of course, Hunt said, no, that's on purpose because Jesus won't barge his way in anywhere. He's got to be welcomed in. I love that about Jesus. He doesn't force himself on anybody. Jesus didn't. Nobody does today. You have to be willing to let them in. We're going to sing, Search Me. And God's truth shines a light on our lives. Is there anybody who has heard what the Spirit has to say today directly to you? I'm going to be down front over here. And if you just want, I don't want you if you want to rededicate But if you want to repent of your lukewarmness, we're going to have a prayer circle down here for anybody who wants to come up. I'm not going to ask any questions. We're just going to pray when whoever gets there gets there. Maybe you want to do it where you are. That's okay. But if you want to do it publicly and say, I'm done being lukewarm, I want to go back to the passion I once had. Let's use it for his glory. But stand and worship.